Hello and welcome to another episode of the India Alternative Podcast. It's me, Chris. And on this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by David Gedge. David won't need much of an introduction, but I'll give a little one anyway. He is the singer, songwriter and frontman of the band The Wedding Presents. And we talk a lot about his songwriting process, his musical influences and collaborations, and also the upcoming 30th anniversary tour of Sea Monsters. Um, It's a really fascinating chat, and thanks, David, for your generosity and time. Just before we hit the interview, here's just a quick reminder of all the ways that you can support the podcast. You can follow me on social media, and those links are in the show notes. Also, if you want to buy me a virtual coffee to say thanks and to support the podcast financially, you can do, and that link is also in the show notes. And lastly, if you've not left a review or rated the podcast, that really helps. So if you've got a couple of minutes to spare, please do that as well. But that's it for The Waffle. Here's David. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, David Gedge. How are you? Uh, Feeling a little bit jet-lagged. Literally just arrived back from the United States on Saturday night and... uh, after after not sleeping for I think it's about twenty eight hours because of the way the flights went. So yeah, feeling oh, a bit God. weird. But we'll see how it goes. Was it business or pleasure? Pleasure, really, to be honest with you, because uh, my wife's American, and obviously you know because of the pandemic, she's not been back for several years. So she's kind of wanted to see her, her family and stuff, really. So uh, I was, to be honest, I was ensconced in an Airbnb for most of it, keeping out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, doing the things that I do here anyway, which is, you know, writing songs and all the rest of it. So, yeah. But then at the end, we did have a little a week because we, because her family's in Washington state and then we flew down to uh, California uh, theoretically to have a week in the sunshine, but it didn't really work out like that because it got, it got quite cold. Oh, no. <laughs> Rainy. So, there you go. And so, where's base for you in the UK? Brighton. Ah, cool. And um, I guess, what's it been like for you now things are starting to open up here um, in terms of playing live? Are you sort of, have you been chomping at the bit to, to sort of get back out there? Kind of. I mean, we we already started, actually, because we uh, we played the first shows in August last year that, that, that were allowed. And uh, it felt a bit strange, to be honest. It felt a bit... You know, no one was quite sure whether it was totally safe yet. And and the audiences seemed quite tentative as well. You know, the people trying to keep their distances and all that kind of stuff. So it felt a bit odd. And then we did a few more in November. Uh, we did some Sea Monsters 30th anniversary shows. And that felt a bit a bit better, but still not completely there. So, yeah, we, uh, we actually start again in about a week, I think. And how have the uh, rehearsals been going for that? Have you been sort of managing to get together sort of quite regularly for that no because i've not been here for of course the, yeah yeah for the last <laughs> month so uh no we actually start rehearsing this week so uh having said that it's kind of the same set that we just played in november i think it you know there's, there's a couple of changes but yeah and it's essentially it's the sea monsters 30th anniversary set show so half the set is is, is stuff we've played already kind of thing it, like, stuff i've been playing for 31 years so yeah yeah <laughs> Is it all? Is it all kind of muscle memory now? Then, David, do you reckon? Not really. No, I think you know. I'd love to say yes, but uh, I think I think what happens is because there's so many songs now, and they get recycled quite a lot. So that, you know, I think there's like I don't know over probably over three hundred if you include the covers and stuff. Mm. And so, I mean, there's a few obvious ones that 
I guess get played more than others, like Dalliance and My Favorite Dress and Kennedy and Brassnick. But uh, mm. uh, for the vast majority of them, no, it's uh, I, I have to relearn them to be honest. I don't know whether it's just my my brain that can't cope with it. Or what. <laughs> well, I mean, the lyrics as well. I mean, because. Mm. The, the, the lyrics are complex as well i mean how does that stay or does that is that something you need prompts or help with um in terms of being able to remember everything that you've written about and actually being able to connect to those songs again after so long yeah or because it... yeah my lyrics are, do get quite involved sometimes and you know, there's little stories and stuff it's not just like verse chorus you know yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and then repeat everything i mean kennedy is weirdly but uh but, but most of them are but actually you know because i do my own festival down here in brighton called at the edge of the sea uh, which we've been doing since 2009, I think. And one of the years I, I got Emma Pollock from from the Delgados come and play. And mm. uh, I noticed that she had this little kind of attachment to the microphone stand, which was actually an iPad with with the lyrics on it. And I thought, what what a brilliant idea. That yeah. is. <laughs> so since I saw that, I've actually now put all my lyrics in, into a form which... Yeah, I can read from an iPad. I don't kind of read them out, but but the, but they are there if I need a prompt kind of thing. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, is it, it that must be such a quite a comfort considering you know all the vast. Well, it is. I, to be honest, because, I mean, to be honest, when I get going, I'm fine. But but sometimes I'll be like, you know, I'll do the first verse and do the chorus, and then I won't remember the first line of the of the second verse. Yes. Uh, and then. I, so then you start to panic, I think, and you think, "Oh my God, it's coming up, coming up!" I thought, but now if it's there, yeah, I don't have that panic. So I just look down. Oh yeah, first line. And once I've got the first line, usually the rest of it comes. I suppose that's where the muscle memory comes in. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for um, songs with where they just repeat the first verse, uh, verse, <laughs> and it's the second. Totally, verse. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just not my style really because I always try, you know, try and make the lyrics as interesting as possible. And I, I think it's a bit of a cop out sometimes when people do that. You know. Yes. Yeah repeating the stuff but uh i mean I was, you know, people don't seem to care but you know <laughs> uh, but you know for my own personal reasons i do like to to kind of craft a, a full kind of varied lyric if you like yeah yeah i like to on this podcast take people back uh right to, back to the beginning if, and uh I, I love hearing about sort of um your musical influences and how it all began and and uh, with you um do you remember a time when you were kind of first got that passion for music and started writing I mean, supposedly, I can't remember a time when I've not had the passion because, yeah. you know, I grew up. Uh, there's a there's a photograph of me. I think I'm about four or five playing records on my parents' uh, little record player. And I think even then, I was pretending to be a DJ or something. I used to kind of work my way through my parents' record collection. And I've always, yeah, I've always been fascinated, you know, to the point of obsession with with uh, with music. I mean, a few other things as well, like comics and whatever. But uh, but music's always been there for me, and I think. You know, people say, when did you decide to be in a group? And I don't think there was a point where I, I kind of woke up and said, OK, I'm going to be a musician, because it it sounds weird, but I always thought I would be. You know, I always kind of yeah. assumed at some point I would be in a band myself or I'd, I'd be a DJ or, you know, maybe a writer for a music paper or something. But I always thought I would, you know, have some connection to it, really. And so, uh, yeah, I've kind of always done it, you know, as soon as I could afford to you know, to, to, to buy instruments. I was I was buying guitars and keyboards and I was messing around with them. I was starting groups with my friends at school and then at university. And uh, it's just something I've always done, really, all my life kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And was there any kind of um, lyricists and sort of 
artists that you kind of felt are you or feel that you're or your kind of main inspiration from back then? I think lyricists, I've kind of always felt that that that, that pop lyricism in, in general is is uh, quite poor, to be honest with you. Because I think you can get away with murder because you know a lot of people don't even care about lyrics and it's all about the tune and the kind of passion and the and the recording and the live sound and all that stuff. And I think you know people do get you know away with some terrible words uh in, in, in lyrics. But uh I think when I, th- I first started writing it, it was possibly verging on the pretentiousness. And then my girlfriend at the time said, you know, you're a big fan of, of Lou Reed from the Velvet Underground, whose lyrics are very obvious, very conversational. I mean, he was singing about totally different things, obviously he was singing about pimps and, and, and drug pushers in, in yeah. Manhattan. But it was all quite kind of clear, really. You know, there was no kind of metaphor and no hiding behind kind of poetic uh, kind of imagery and stuff, mm. and and she said, you know, why don't you write more in that style? And and I think I think that did influence me. I did, you know, I wanted to make the lyrics very understandable and tell these little stories. Which I mean, occasionally, you know, they do get a bit vague or a bit a bit kind of poetic, for, for want of a better word. But but generally, yeah, you know, my lyrics are. You know, people have said it's almost like a play. You know, it's like a dialogue between two people or a conversation between two people. And I, I think that's the, the style that I settled upon very early actually and then I've, I've kind of stayed with it really coming to the subjects that you you write about and that kind of but it was there mm. was there any kind of moment when you thought actually this is this is what I'm good at this is how you know instead of going down a political road or like a you know a love love me do type thing this is uh, uh, you know there's so much more nuance to this and then was there a time do you think when you thought this is this is how I'm going to write and this is kind of what I'm good at it was more a case of of me trying you know to write other other stuff you know you know, I guess political kind of ideas and stuff like that, and then being not you know, not very satisfied with it, and then I suppose the realization at that point was that yeah, maybe I should stick with you know, <laughs> doing what I'm, I'm actually quite good at, which which is the conversational, kind yeah, of, yeah, the kitchen sink stuff. I mean, it's I mean, it's such a universal subject. It, it's kind of it, you know, people say you know, I, I don't you get bored of of writing about you know relationships and I don't really because it, it's kind of all it's there all the time if you look at any film or any you, know, you read a book or you know you know you know my favorite songs of, the, of history you know, it's always about kind of people falling in love or falling out of love or jealousy or lust or betrayal you know all those kind of things and and there's a it's a whole universe of, of stuff there really and I think uh I've just always been very interested in it I suppose and then I yeah kind of regurgitate that into the form of a lyric and also you've got plenty of source material, as you said, but also people around you can be the source of such nourishment mm. when it comes to that sort of thing. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I hear, I hear a famous, I'm one said, you know, I used to listen to conversations on the bus, really, because you get people arguing and stuff. And yeah. They say things, you think, that would be a brilliant line for a, for a song, you know, or, <laughs> or a title. Yeah, it's yeah. Let's get my little notebook out and write it down. Did anyone ever come up to you and say, uh, that song on that album, is that about me? They do all the time, actually. But uh, I mean, it's a bit odd because I suppose you know there's quite a few songs which are definitely about a certain relationship and a certain person, but a lot of them tend to kind of merge together. So, like, I'll take elements of of, of ideas from stuff that's happened to me, you know, in the last few years, and then maybe a bit of it will be something that I'll remember from, because I've got this massive archive now of, of ideas for songs and stuff. Mm. Something will be from 30 years ago. So often it, it it can feel like it's the same person, but it's not, it's it's different people. 
And so people people are often wrong, actually. People say, oh, yeah, yeah I recognise myself in that song. And I'll say, well, it's not actually you, that bit. <laughs> but, <laughs> But this bit is, and they go, oh, really? You know, so people are surprised. I think by the time I've manipulated them and kind of, you know, worked them into a format where where it's, uh, you know, it sounds okay in a, in a song, it's, it's often changed from the original kind of story, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like your star signs, isn't it? If you read your, um, if you read those sort of things, you can mm. take parts and elements out of everything. And that's what I think is so accessible about, you know, your songs um is that yeah you can pick out things and it's not conventional and it's it's very relatable and i think that's what attracts i guess what i imagine was attracting uh, attracting you know fans of your music i've never been compared to an astrologer before but i'll I'll take it (laughs) (laughs) so collaborating and stuff like that over the years and and uh it's been very important to you and i think i know you've got lots of musicians that have come and gone throughout the sort of the lineup and things but What's that experience like been for you? And how do you kind of select what to do and who to work with? Have you got just a, a vast um, network of people that you've met over the years? Well, I mean, it's difficult, to be honest with you, because uh, obviously, I mean, in my heart of hearts, I, I think it might have been nice to have, you know, like, you know, you know the Beatles or you 2 had the same line about Queen or whatever, apart from Freddie Murphy, obviously. You know, keeping the same line up together, it sounds a bit kind of romantic, but, but obviously... You know, quite soon that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. I think I was the final remaining member by 1993 or something. So that obviously, yeah. <laughs> that's quite a long time ago. And uh, if I'm honest, you know, I think you know I've benefited from from the various couple of, uh, collaborations we've had over the years because people come into the band, and obviously, you know, everyone's different. So everyone's got their own style of music, uh, you know, that they enjoy writing and listening to, and they've got their own inspirations and their own aspirations, if you like. Yeah. And so, and so, I genuinely feel like I've been in kind of six different groups over the years because it's it's you know it's changed so many times now, quite radically sometimes. Uh, and obviously, I did the Cinerama stuff as well for a few years. So, yeah, you know, I think you know I'm quite proud of the fact that you know, apart from maybe the first couple of records, all the wedding present albums have got their own kind of feel, really, and you know, personality and and sound. And uh, we've moved on every time. It, I mean, to be honest, it's not the the most commercial way of doing stuff because you know, once you've established a sound that's successful, people tend to expect that sound forever. Mm. And we definitely have not done that, so we've definitely lost fans you know, along the way. Possibly, you know, acquired a few new ones and stuff. But uh, but I think as a body of work, I think it, you know, it's, you know, I think uh, the variety kind of holds up really well. And so, when you with regards to sort of co-writing and stuff, because you've always been um obviously the main main songwriter and so the, the, the latest project that you've been doing this year which is releasing that seven inch single every month and you've you've worked a lot with john stewart um yeah. and so what what how did that come about and what was there a change in terms of how you wanted to approach writing not really no i think it, i mean it's it's usually a case that that i or another member or one of the couple of members of the band will have a basic idea whether it be a little riff or a little you know uh, sequence of chords or whatever and then they'll you send that to me or play it to me and then I'll go away and and kind of craft a song around it really uh and and I think that's the way it's always been for most of the songs uh and John was yeah he's just a new wedding present guitarist so he's he's been doing that with me over the last couple of years 
who've been working on his riffs and uh, and Melanie as well, the bass player. She, you know, she she's a songwriter as well. So and then we, you know, once I've written a framework for a, for a song, I make a little demo and then we usually go into the into a, a studio and kind of argue about it for a, for a couple of days until we, until we get to a final. Uh, <laughs> you know state that, that, that everybody's happy with and uh and that usually becomes the song then yeah and so this idea for this uh, the seven inch single uh that you're doing this year goes back to 92 doesn't it in terms of how you release mm. singles and so was that like a de- i'd say obviously it was a deliberate thing but w- what was the kind of catalyst for that yeah i can remember exactly because it was in a rehearsal room in in in, in wakefield in yorkshire and uh we were just you know I think we were rehearsing for a tour or writing new songs or whatever. And our bass player at the time, Keith Gregory, uh, he was a member of the Sub Pop Singles Club, which was obviously a label in Seattle. And, and I think uh, they used to send you a seven single every month. And uh, you just said, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could do something like this as a band rather than a, you know, a label? Mm. And it was one of those ideas you know, once we'd heard it, we thought, you know, there's no way we can't do this because it's such a brilliant idea. And straight away, you know, in about 15 minutes, we'd have, we had it all kind of worked out that we do, you know, have a you know, matching sleeves and we do it for a year and we do a, an original song on the A side, cover on the B side and and there'd be a little box to put them in and in it, and we did a video for each one, a T-shirt for each one. So it, it all seemed kind of, you know, once we had that initial idea, that it was something we had to do. And so we we just persuaded our, our record label at the time RCA to go along with it and they did thankfully uh yeah. yeah and so we just did it and then fast forward to now which is 30 years later I kind of wanted to do something similar you know with a with a nod to that but not actually kind of you know, recreate the the hit parade again uh as it was called in 1992 so it's a kind of a similar series it's still seven in singles and they're all you know kind of matching sleeves and kind of build into a nice series but uh it's not exactly the same as it as it was then yeah well the, the, i suppose the landscape of how people consume music is completely mm. different anyway oh, right. um yeah. and so with the terms of like just that operation is it all on vinyl or is it is it um are you doing or is the plan sorry to bring this to some sort of a, an album at, at the end well both times it's 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 it's, it's just been vinyl only uh-huh. uh but uh yeah seven inch vinyl um I suppose the difference this time is, you know, that all the tracks are also available on on the digital, you know, yeah. streaming and all that stuff. So it's a, it's slightly different from from then, because I mean, partly because there's no record shops <laughs> anymore. Yeah. You know, in those days, the only way you could buy this single was to go into a record shop and buy a seven inch single, and that was it. Whereas now, there's obviously, you know, people, uh, you know, not every town's got record shops anymore. So, so we've done this subscription thing where you can actually get them you know through us directly by mail order but also if you just want to hear the songs and the music the other one on the streaming services so yeah how have you got around the this um crazy vinyl production situation room with this then have you found it well, have you had to do this well in advance or is it on paid, paid yeah, to go no i kind of bit of both really i think you know we, yes we had you know we planned it well in advance and we and to be honest we've just been really busy writing the songs and uh and record them as, as, as uh, and we had a backlog of, of songs that was kind of building up over the, over the lockdown because we, you know, we weren't playing any gigs or anything. And so it's just been a case of, of knocking those into shape and recording them and finishing them and, and mixing them. But yeah, I think it, it takes uh, like seven months or something between 
us kind of finishing the mix and actually you know, coming out on a record. So, so, so we are kind of planning quite that. I mean, the other thing was that <clears throat> uh, the label that, that's coming out on is called Clue Records. And, uh, and the person there, Tony, he did a lot of research on, on manufacturing companies. And there was only one company in Europe who could absolutely guarantee that, you know, we wouldn't get any delays in the, in the vinyl. Uh, it's a company in Germany called Optimal. And they said, yes, if you can send us these tracks, we will you know, make sure they're released on time. Uh, but because of that, we had to pay a premium because they're a, uh, a bit more expensive than a, than a normal company. Hence, you know, the singles are more. I mean, it's it's lovely vinyl and it's it's all really well done, but it means that we had to. I think I think they retail for about eleven pounds each, which obviously you know, normally when we do seventy singles, we sell them for a fiver or something. So it's kind of you know, we've had to pay this price in order to guarantee the series and and the quality, really. Yeah, but that's that's the beauty of it, I suppose. You can probably nowadays. You can you can charge probably a little bit more because it's a probably deemed or perceived as being a premium product, which it is because you just there's so much warmth to the record now than there is to like listening yeah. to MP3s and things like that. And there's, a, there's such a real big appetite for that sort of uh, media. Yeah, there is. It's, uh, it's funny how it's it's kind of turned its on its head, isn't it? <laughs> you know, all the pressing plants kind of disappeared in the nineties. Yeah. Nobody you know, nobody wanted vinyl anymore, and now suddenly everyone wants vinyl. And I think I think. I think a lot of factories are too scared to open up in case it's just a, a fashion and it goes again. But uh, yeah, I remember a time when the, the merchandise we used to sell mainly CDs, and then occasionally someone would you know, would ask for the vinyl, and that's totally reversed now. People don't care about the CDs anymore, and they say, oh, "Have you got the vinyl things?" Which is a bit of a pain because obviously they're heavier and bigger to to cart around on tour. But yeah, uh, uh, yeah it's uh, it seems to have gone that way again. I just wanted to ask you about uh john peel as well i mean you know that 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 whole kind of um peel connection what was that how important was that and what was it like at the time for you guys well it was it was crucial really for us because at that time especially you know for a band like us who were from an alternative kind of background he was the only uh, gateway really to to any any success i mean you could send demos out and maybe get gigs at your local pub or whatever but uh, you know as soon as we uh released our first single and I think Peel played it about 10 times you know, people started coming to us and say oh you're coming play in our venue come you know come and uh, play in our indie night or whatever so he you know and then he, you know the enemy reviewed it and the papers reviewed it and so it's uh you know he was a you know, catalyst for you know for all the bands of our of our type really it's completely different obviously because, you know with the internet and YouTube and all the rest of it there's a lot of little you know a myriad of ways to uh, to get your music out there, but in those days it, it was just peel really. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, we were very uh, you know fortunate, I suppose, that he he liked the band. But then again, in some ways, it was <laughs> it sounds a bit weird, but you know, because I I'd grown up listening to that program from you know being a teenager onwards. I, you know, to the point of obsession, really. You know, hardly ever missed a show, and so we were kind of destined to be a John Peel band in a way because. I was just listening to music he was playing and that was influencing what I was doing and how I wanted to sound and stuff. So, you know, we were always kind of going to be of that ilk, I think. Uh, so it would have been really disappointing had he not been a fan <laughs> after all that. But, but as I say, thankfully he was. And this other approach that you had was just, just having as much control as possible um, over your music in those early days. Were you something that you consciously decided that you didn't want to go down a very kind of, not mainstream, but, um, you know, a label 
I mean, obviously, it was inevitable that, that it, just due to the the, the sheer kind of um, like interest in you that you needed to probably go down that road eventually. But in the early days, it was something you kind of avoided. Yeah, well, even when we did sign to, to RCA and then Island Records and then Cooking Vinyl, we had the same control anyway. Because uh, I mean, I, I don't know. To me, it's just always been really obvious that if you're in a creative uh, business or whatever you know, this is. <laughs> You don't want to have have meetings with you know people who who then will ask you to change things because it doesn't fit in with their idea of how to sell it. If you know what I mean. So so we always said you know we want complete artistic control. We don't want anyone in the studio from the record label saying oh yeah turn the vocals up or whatever or you know influencing what we did on the sleeve or the videos or anything. So but but to me that you know as you know I think that's really obvious. Like, why would you want you know some business person come in to say? You've got to change the way you look or sound. I mean, I suppose the answer is, well, if you want to be big, yes, you, you follow their advice and they will make you more commercial. But uh, that wasn't the be-all uh, be and end-all for us, I don't think. You know, we never had this idea that we we're going to become this enormous group. So we just wanted to make records, which we were proud of, really. Uh, and it's it stayed ever since, you know. You know there's, there's definitely certain, you know, roads we could have gone down where we probably would have, you know, got a big name producer in and sounded a bit more commercial and stuff but you know would we have been happy with the you know the results you know I'm not sure we would have really so so we've always stayed stayed away from those kind of avenues I guess. There's definitely a, a very characteristic guitar sound that you you have and there's kind of there's a there's an attack and an urgency to it I wondered how that evolved from from the kind of over the years or it's something you know that you developed by just how you were taught or how you learned or was it self or was it just some other musician or guitarist that you were kind of emulating well I think we were always meant to be a guitar band and I think we always had this idea that we didn't really want to sound like anybody else so I tried to be uninfluenced by people you know like I said before you know for instance the Velvet Underground were were a favorite band of mine and and there is an element of that kind of you know the rhythm guitar in in their songs which I guess influenced me along with some other bands that you know British bands around the time like uh, maybe Joseph Kay and people like that but uh, I think the main catalyst was when we finally we, so we had a year when we had about 10 drummers and we couldn't you know we couldn't keep hold of a drummer for some reason and then we finally met Sean who was ultimately the you know, the drummer in the band who, who went on to do George Best and stuff and uh, and when he joined I think uh, I think we finally had people of the same mindset and you know, we were all Peel fans and we all liked that kind of fast, energetic music. And I think he was the, you know, he sped us up really. You know, I think he was the catalyst for that. So we started speeding the songs up a little bit and, and we were thinking, yeah, oh, this sounds great actually. A, it doesn't, like, it doesn't sound like anybody else. And B, it's making our songs sound better and more exciting and more powerful. So yeah, we just got faster and faster and suddenly I had, you know, this, I'd acquired this, like you say, this guitar sound, which was kind of my own, which was uh, this rhythmic kind of very fast, jangly style. Uh, and then, and, and, and that's kind of been there all all the time since. I mean, we don't, you know, if you look at the very early songs, it was all that. It was just this kind of one-dimensional approach of, of, of uh, playing the music really fast and uh, aggressively. But then, but later on, it's, it's varied, you know, and I've tried other things as well. But uh yeah, it just kind of evolved, really, you know, with the people being in the band at that time, yeah. having those ideas. 
obviously got the tour, uh, the Sea Monsters uh, 30th anniversary tour that you, you you mentioned earlier on. Um, but after that, have you got any, what's the kind of, and obviously the, the singles that you're releasing this year. So you, you're kind of pretty sewn up for 2022, aren't you? Um, kind of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just going to ask you, what other plans have you got? But I don't think you've got any room for any more. Um, but... No, yeah, well, I suppose the only thing that, uh, the other thing that springs to mind is I've, you know, I've done, I don't know if you saw that I, that I released volume one of my autobiography a couple of years ago. It's in comic book form, actually. It's called Tales from the Wedding Present. And the plan is to release a second volume of that in November as well. I think it's November. So it's basically, yeah, doing, doing the Sea Monsters concert through the year and, and releasing these, these, these 12, 70 singles. And then when that book comes out, I think we might do a little book tour of some sort, maybe like a, a stripped back kind of acoustic kind of tour because because uh, we did these, uh, I don't know if you saw, we did a couple of, well, we did an album over lockdown. The it's lockdown. called Lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just, you know, semi-acoustic, stripped back kind of versions of, of, of Wedding Present and Cinerama songs. And, and and people loved it really. So we, you know, we got a lot of requests from people, you know, to, to do that live in, in, in some way. And I'm thinking maybe we could tie that in with a with a little book tour for the for the second volume of the of the biography. And we'll do that, yeah, you know, maybe play kind of smaller places and do like semi acoustic type stuff. Well, I'm thinking that you know because uh, my co-writer is, is 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 called Terry De Castro, and uh, she was the bass player in the Wedding Brothers for many years, and she lives in in Los Angeles now, but. Uh, I was thinking, yeah, she could come over and she could maybe interview me on the stage and we could do like a Q&A thing and then we'd do yeah. a little set. So, I mean, it's just different, really. It's just an you know, interesting idea. So so that's the other thing that we're kind of aiming for this year. Well, the songs also, they uh, take on a new lease of life, don't they, when they're sort of stripped down and played in that way. And so um, is there a, a, a sort of chunk of catharticism that goes along with that? Are you, do you feel differently performing them and does it? Or does it sort of, is it bringing different emotions out in you, especially after all the sort of, sort of legacy of the music as well? I think you know, with the acoustic versions, you've kind of, you know, you've got to be quite selective because not every song works really. Because, you know, you know, some tracks will kind of rely more on production and, and guitar sounds and things. So inevitably you're kind of drawn to the, to the kind of, you know, the more songy songs, if you like. You're the ones that, you know, work with just, a vocal melody and a, and a acoustic and make, you know, yeah. and, and I think so. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how, how the songs do take on a different life in that format, really, because, you know, away from the loud guitars and the, and the distorted bass and the massive drums, you're more reliant on the actual vocal melody and the lyric. And uh, in some ways it becomes more poignant, you know, because it's more naked really. And I think it's uh, a bit more intimate, you know, if mm. you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's uh, it's been. I never really, you know, people have said for years, why do you never do like an acoustic album or something? And I've, I've kind of thought, well, it, it doesn't really feel like me, really. You know, I've always yeah. seen myself as this loud guitar band. But then with the lockdown, obviously we had, you know, we had to do it because we, we didn't do anything else. Yeah, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And there's actually a second volume that's, that's going to be uh, coming out in in summer because you know because we did, initially we did it for the uh, the virtual edition of my festival at the edge of the sea, and we did that in uh, 2020. And then obviously in 2021, it, the pandemic was still going on, so we so we did the, a virtual a second virtual festival, and we recorded a, a, another. 12 stripped back acoustic songs for that and so that's going to be the second volume you know of the series i suppose 
Uh, hopefully there'll be, there'll be no third volume because the, the pandemic will be finished now. Yeah, go on, fingers <laughs> crossed. And so the book then, because you mentioned the book, and it, but how did that come about then? Was it something that you wanted to do always in terms of like, the, especially in cartoon form? Uh, you know, what, what, how did it come about? I never had a burning desire, no. I mean, <laughs> I have actually been approached by, by publishers over the years saying, you know, that, that, you know, if you ever want to do your autobiography, we'll publish it for you. And I've kind of said, yeah, I don't know. I'll think about it kind of thing. And then Terry, who I mentioned was the... Uh, uh, the former bass player she she had this idea to do my biography from her point of view which was kind of meeting me having you know, uh, you know joining the band joining Cinerama then the wedding present and all the kind of you know the uh, the conversations we had you know, while she while she's in the band she would use that as as a as a basis for this kind of life story thing and uh and she wanted to incorporate some comic books stuff into that because I, because I've always been a massive fan of comics anyway, you know, like growing up and mm. you know, graphic novels and stuff. So, so we did that. And then she decided, well, you know, between us, we decided that, that we like the comic books, you know, you know better than the, <laughs> than the rest of it, if you like it. Yeah. And we just thought, you know, why don't we make the whole thing a comic book series? So that's, it started off as, as comics that we would actually, you know, write. And then I've got a friend called Lee Thacker who lives in Birmingham uh, who's an artist, and you know, we'd send him stories, and he he puts them to comic book form, and we released these comics for the last few years, and then we decided that we've got enough now to actually you know, start compiling them as as graphic novels, and and we released volume one in twenty twenty twenty, I think it was, and then we yeah we're doing volume two this year uh, in chronological order. So 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 the first volume was kind of me growing up and then forming the band and stuff. And then, and then, second one when it comes out will be the early years, you know, the George Best years, I suppose you call. Uh, but I love it, you know. I, I, it's like me in a comic book. It's brilliant, you know. And yeah. it, it's weird because we do these little stories. You know, she'll ask me a few questions and she'll put a little script together, and I'll go back and forwards with us, you know, across the Atlantic uh, for a few times, and then we'll eventually send it to Lee, and then it comes back and he's transformed it into these visuals, you know, like a storyboard for a, for a film or something. Yeah. It's, it's always really kind of amazing to see it come to life like that. And uh, I really enjoy doing it. So, yeah. Well, David, I'm going to let you go. I just want to say a massive thank you for for joining me and, and uh, talking to me about everything, really. And uh, it's been fascinating to hear about uh, what you've been up to and how you got there. So we've got the tour to look forward to. And and then obviously the second part of the book. And then next year, who knows, more more music, hopefully. Yes, I think I don't know. Well, I'm going to put you under pressure, but yeah. Um, thanks so much, David. I've really enjoyed it. You're very welcome. Uh,